Greetings and salutations, folks. This is Neil Kirschman with an episode of the Fantasy Football Peeps podcast. And today we are going to talk about Chris, Chris Godwin. Godwin. Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin. Mike, Mike Evans. Evans. Mike Evans. Mike Evans. Looking forward to talking about these Mike two wide receivers today. These are two guys that, quite honestly, last year they were great. They did a really good job for you. You had them in your fantasy lineup pretty much every week. They both technically finished as wide receiver ones. Right after the Super Bowl, when I did my first round of rankings and in looking at the rankings that other folks in the industry were doing as well, I saw a similarity where everyone, myself included, had Chris Godwin and Mike Evans basically top 10 receivers. And in a lot of cases, they were back to back. And you just kind of look at that and it's just weird. It just doesn't feel right. You know that it's extremely rare for two receivers from the same team to shine in fantasy to the level of being a high-end wide receiver one. And so to be ranking these two players, not only in the top 10, but basically back to back, I feel like that's where I've been seeing them is anywhere in the five to eight range. And people have them, you know, either back to back or one ahead of the other with a guy in between. And you just have to wonder, like, realistically, what are the chances that both of these guys do finish as top 10 players? And so I really wanted to look at these two more in depth take a look at some of the analytics behind their productivity in 2019, talk about the changes in the team as they go into 2020, and try to isolate and and project better the level of productivity that these guys will have in 2020, and try to either confirm or maybe disagree with the notion that both of these players can be top 10 players, and therefore try to figure out, well, which one might be better than the other, And at what point in the draft should I look to target these two players? Again, welcome to the show, Fantasy Football Peeps. I'm your host, Neil Kirschman. Give me a shout on Twitter, at FF underscore Peeps, at FF underscore Peeps, or use the hashtag FF Peeps, and just let me know how I'm doing. Getting back to the main topic of the show, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, two awesome wide receivers, play for the same team. What are they going to do next year? Which one do you like more than the other? Do you like them both as wide receiver ones? Do you think one of them could potentially be a bust? That is the main topic of the show, and we will be covering that quite thoroughly. Before we get into that, we do need to take some time to peep some things that have gone down across the league. Peep this. We have destroyed our way through the first week of free agency, and a lot of dominoes have fallen. There are some players that have gone to some places. Some things are happening. Right off the bat, there's some quarterback stuff to get into. Let's talk about two guys that we we knew right before free agency started that they were going to stay put, and that's Ryan Tannehill and Dak Prescott. In terms of fantasy value, I feel like it is the best thing for both of these players as individual fantasy players, and it's also the best thing for the players around them. Like, Let's keep this consistency going. Dak Prescott was in an offense where they threw the ball a lot. Him and Amari Cooper had very good fantasy seasons. They still fed the ball to Ezekiel Elliott an insane number of times. He was very productive. He had a great fantasy season. Keeping Dak in Dallas basically lays the foundation for them to continue what they did last year. Um, We also know that Amari Cooper is staying put as well. He did reach a long-term contract. So with Dak Prescott at quarterback, Amari Cooper at receiver, Ezekiel Elliott at running back, all three of these guys are top 10 at their position or better, and they're all going to be drafted very highly in fantasy drafts, and they should be very productive. So I'm happy for the situation in Dallas. As for Tennessee, 
same kind of thing. We know what they want to do. We know that they want to run the ball a lot with Derrick Henry. He is the focal point of the offense. Everything revolves around him and running the ball a billion times a game. And then every once in a while, they'll pass with Tannehill. Um, I do think that A.J. Brown showed that he can exist with just with his skill set being what it is. In my opinion, he kind of showed that he can coexist in this run-heavy offense and still be a productive fantasy player. It's almost as if when the run game has just completely barreled the defense in the face for so long and then Tannehill mixes in some play action, he's getting open and you know he's going to have opportunities to get some big plays down the field. He may not have the sheer volume that you would want him to have in every single game, but he's still going to have plenty of opportunities to be efficient because the defense will be so worried about the ground game. Um, I think Tannehill may have overperformed a little bit last year. I mean, he came in and just went crazy, and I don't really think anybody could have expected that or predicted that. I do think there's a little bit of regression for him, but I still think he'll be a viable fantasy quarterback, and he's in a good system for him to be able to play well. So I still like A.J. Brown's stock. I still like Derrick Henry's stock, although I do think he had an outlier season last year, and I don't know if he can do that again this year. I still like him as a productive player. Would love him in redraft. Wouldn't love him in dynasty. And then I think just the offense in general with Tennessee can do a lot of the same things they did last year. Moving on from two guys that are staying put, let's talk about some guys that are on the move. Peep this. Tom Brady to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's like, really? Seriously? Seriously, Tom, like you, you had to you had to go play for another team. So he goes to a new team. He goes to the Buccaneers. What does this mean for everybody else? I think Mike Evans and Chris Godwin have a pretty darn good chance of being productive. Um, these are two guys that obviously I'm going to be talking about later in the show more in depth. But just on the surface, you look at it and you say, well, if they're not going to bring back Jameis Winston, who are some of the quarterbacks out there that can come in and do a good job? I think with Brady, you're not going to see all the downfield vertical passing that Jameis Winston used to do to the level that he did it. But with Brady, you should still see a volume of passing per game. I mean, even last year with as horrible of the weapons that he had, he still passed the ball quite a lot. There just wasn't a lot of productivity behind all those passes, but it was there. You know, he's still willing to do it at this point in his career. And if a coaching staff believes in putting him in the right space, and this is a team where, let's be real, they don't have the running game where they're just going to hand the ball off a million times and play action off of that every once in a while. They, that's not what they are. Their strength is their passing game and some of their weapons on the outside. So I still think they're going to pass a lot. It just isn't going to be quite the same as if Jameis Winston were there. Phillip Rivers goes to Indianapolis. I think that is an upgrade for T.Y. Hilton. I think he finally, if he's going to resurrect his career at all and be fantasy productive, he needs somebody like Phillip Rivers that has a track record of throwing the ball down the field. So I do think it's an upgrade for T.Y. Hilton. I don't necessarily know if it's an upgrade yet for Paris Campbell. I don't know if he's going to get the legit wide receiver two opportunity going forward or if they're going to bring somebody else in in the draft, etc. Um, but you know, and then I think Marlon Mack's status really doesn't change too much. I think they're still going to ground him a lot, and then he'll probably see limited pass attempts in the passing game. 
Carolina gives us a little something something. See you later, Cam Newton. Hello, Teddy Bridgewater. That's pretty crazy. As far as Christian McCaffrey is concerned, I don't think it affects him too much, to be honest. I think, if anything, it's a good thing. That's the kind of quarterback that won't take too much attention away from him because this is a quarterback that probably needs to rely on McCaffrey a little bit to just be productive for the offense in general and move the ball down the field. McCaffrey still sees plenty of carries and plenty of passing opportunities, in my opinion. I think it is a even or better situation for DJ Moore, and I think it is a massive downgrade for Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel is one of those kind of sneaky sleeper picks that we've all been so excited to draft highly next year. He had a bazillion air yards and a massive target share last year that is suggestive of a wide receiver that can be in the top 20. The takeaway from that was that if he had a good quarterback that could get the ball down the field with any level of accuracy, Curtis Samuel could be a massive, massive uh, sleeper by low type person for next season. However, with Teddy Bridgewater coming in and being such a short and intermediate passer type, um, I think it's a hit to Curtis Samuel's stock. Another move is Nick Foles going to Chicago. I think basically that just creates a leash for Trubisky. Uh, He needs to play better. In terms of fantasy, you know, I I still expect that Trubisky will play a lot of the games, if not most of the games. If Foles were to come in, I think it would be a little bit of a pickup to, say, Allen Robinson, um, just getting the ball down the field a little bit better. But, I, you know, there has to be that chemistry there, which we don't know. know, They're just not going to have the time to build that. So, um, honestly, not much of a change there, really, whatsoever. It's more of a real-life move than it is a fantasy move to be excited about. Marcus Mariota goes out to Vegas. Similar thing with Derek Carr, short leash. Not really excited about either one of those guys, so I'm not going to spend too much time there. Peep this. Getting away from the quarterbacks, there was obviously a lot of movement. Not going to go into that too much, but I will drop some of the bigger, crazier things. Obviously, the craziest one was DeAndre Hopkins and David Johnson being involved in that massive trade. People look at that, myself included, and say, Houston, um, what are you doing? Don't really understand what they're doing. The big keys are, from a fantasy perspective, DeAndre Hopkins really doesn't see too much of a change, in my opinion. He was already a guy with a legitimate wide receiver one floor and massive upside on a weekly basis, being paired with one of the best quarterbacks in the league in Deshaun Watson. I think Hopkins now goes from that team and that situation to another team with a similar and rising quarterback that, quite honestly... Going into year two, there's a ton of excitement about what he can do with his arm and with his legs. And now you give him a weapon upgrade in DeAndre Hopkins, and I think it's a massive upgrade for Kyler Murray. But for Hopkins, I think, you know, his stock is about the same, maybe even a little bit less just because it's going to take some time for their chemistry to get to the level that it was with uh, Deshaun Watson. But ultimately, Hopkins is one of the best receiver threats in the game. And you put him with a quarterback that can throw the ball down the field and in Cliff Kingsbury's offense that seemingly wants to have an up-tempo style and throw the ball a lot. I just think that Hopkins continues to be a legitimate uh, top five wide receiver option. As far as David Johnson goes, I think his value goes up a little bit. I think he was about to be just buried and have zero value whatsoever, you know, because you thought he would be in Arizona not doing anything behind Kenyon Drake. 
Now he goes to a team where it seems like he's going to be the starter. So right off the bat, he should just have a higher floor with no problem because he's going to be playing. The question is, is how long will he be able to stay healthy and what version of him are we going to see? He's somebody who has a massive level of risk to where he could literally fall off a cliff and be outside the top 50. Austin Hooper goes to the Browns. Interesting. I think uh, Baker Mayfield needs a legitimate tight end threat in the red zone and just the opportunity to outlet to somebody else besides the backs uh, when things aren't there for your one and two receivers. So I think it's a good upgrade for Baker Mayfield. I think it's an upgrade for that offense in general. I think for Austin Hooper, it's maybe a little bit of a downgrade because he and Matt Ryan had something going that was just so nice. It's going to take some time for Baker and Hooper to develop that level of chemistry. So a little bit of a downgrade for Hooper, but not massively because we know the Browns are going to be moving the ball with that offense. Uh, and the last thing is Stefan Diggs to Buffalo. This is something that I'm excited about for pretty much everybody. I'm excited for Diggs, number one, because now he goes to a situation where he's the legit number one receiver and it's with a quarterback who's got a heck of an arm and not afraid to throw the ball to Diggs anywhere on the field. And I believe in Diggs' ability to make plays. So I think it's a, I think it's an upgrade for him because it, he was not going to be consistent enough in Minnesota's offense that likes to run the ball constantly with the backs and then spread it to him and Thielen. Speaking of Thielen, I even think it's an upgrade for him if you're playing redraft in Dynasty, you know, in a startup, I probably wouldn't be touching him. If I already had him on a team in Dynasty from recent years, I would have traded him by now. So in a startup, I'm not even thinking about him as a player. But in a redraft league, Thielen gets a massive upgrade for me as well because now he's not contesting with uh, digs on days or games where they decide they actually want to pass the ball. He's not um, contesting with digs any longer. So I think it's an upgrade for Thielen. I think it's a massive upgrade for, for digs. I think it's an upgrade for Josh Allen even. I mean, Josh Allen has a cannon of an arm. He's maybe not the most accurate guy in the world, but he does have the ability to get out of the pocket when things break down and make plays with his arm and legs like a Ben Roethlisberger type of quarterback. And if he continues to develop and get better for them, he needs a weapon like a Diggs. He needs someone that can literally stretch the field horizontally, vertically, diagonally, any way that you can come up with. Diggs can get anywhere and beat any player in a one-on-one -on -one situation. He can also get open in zone coverages too. And I just love the potential for both he and Allen to be successful together. So now that we've covered all of that goodness, I think it is time to talk about the main topic of the day. Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, what is the dealio? They are two receivers that were absolutely dominant last year. Uh, maybe not absolutely dominant for, for Evans, but Godwin was absolutely dominant. But they were both outstanding wide receivers. They, were, they both finished as wide receiver ones in half PPR. And they basically exemplified like the kind of player that you want to have as a receiver, somebody with a decent floor and great upside, great ceiling potential. These two were exactly that last year, and it's interesting that they were on the same team. The most interesting thing that I found immediately after the Super Bowl, after the season ended, I did my early 2020 rankings. As I'm doing the receivers, I find myself writing Chris Godwin and Mike Evans right next to each other, back to back, which just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel likely, but I just find myself writing these guys' names back to back in the rankings, and I'm seeing a lot of other folks do the same thing as well. And so right off the bat, it's kind of this burning question that I have within me that says, hey, who's the better receiver here going forward? Who's the one that you can rely on more? If you don't believe that both of these guys can finish as top 10 receivers and one of them is more likely to bust 
or at least just fall out of the wide receiver one range, which one would that be? And which person do you think is maybe more likely to duplicate the success that they had from last year? To begin, let's look at their stats from 2019. Chris Godwin posted 86 catches, 1,333 yards, 9 touchdowns. He did this in 14 games. Mike Evans posted 67 catches, 1,157 yards, 8 touchdowns, 13 games. So the productivity was there for both of these guys, and Chris Godwin ended up finishing as the wide receiver 2, while Mike Evans finished as the wide receiver 12, averaging no less than 15.3 points per game in half PPR. So that means they both finished as wide receiver 1s. For me, I immediately start to look at what are the opportunity metrics? What are the opportunity stats or analytics that show that this player is going to have high volume usage on a consistent basis that for me as a fantasy football player is what I look at to lay the foundation for the potential for success, just the potential for success. Then obviously the player has to do their job, but I need to know that this player is in a scheme, is in an offense, is in a coaching staff, etc. that his skill set, that the player's skill set fits the scheme of what they're doing. All these things line up harmoniously to where this player gets X amount of volume per game. If they're a running back, are they getting X amount of carries per game? For me, I want to see like 15 plus carries a game. If it's a receiver, are they getting at least nine or 10 targets a game? You know, these are like for, for running backs or receivers that are going to finish in the top five or in the top 10 or in the top 12, they have to dominate the opportunity metrics. First opportunity metric I look at for both of these guys, I'm happy with what I see. Each one of them had a 90% snap share. Both of these guys, 90% of the plays for the entire season, they're on the field. Each one of them also averaged no less than 8.5 targets per game and commanded no less than a 22% target share. So immediately for me, I see levels of weekly opportunity that can contribute to consistently high fantasy floors. You give me players that have that amount of snap share, that amount of targets per game, and that amount of target share, and immediately I feel good about their opportunity to put up big-time numbers. The interesting thing here is that it's two players from the same receiving core getting this level of opportunity. So that's the thing that's kind of rare. But as long as that opportunity is there, you still have to like the potential for what both of these players can do. Chris Godwin played 14 games. He had 119 total targets. Mike Evans played only 13 games. He had 118 total targets, so one target less. The fact that both of these players were still targeted over 100 times on the season is pretty nice. It's impressive, and it's indicative of an offense that averaged 42.3 team pass plays per game, which was ranked third most in the league. That was just Jameis Winston airing the ball out like crazy, as we all remember. So with that amount of team pass plays per game and that amount of target share for both of these players the volume is simply there for both of them the opportunity is simply there for both of them to put up big time numbers so that alone gets me excited for both of them for 2020 now to be honest i began my research with a little bit of a preconceived notion that godwin was going to stand out as the much better fantasy option across the board it just honestly felt like godwin was so much better last year and so much more consistent than Evans. They were actually very close when you break it down in terms of fantasy points per game. And looking at the data, I am surprised to see Evans dominate certain metrics that make me reconsider my initial assumption about these two. First of all, Godwin collected 1,301 air yards. We can round that down to 1,300. 
but Evans shattered that with 1,809 air yards, collecting 500 more air yards while appearing in one less game. In only 13 games, Evans's mark of 1,809 air yards was the second highest in the league, and that was better than Kenny Galladay, Odell Beckham, Allen Robinson, and Devontae Parker, just as an example, and all four of those guys played in all 16 games. Evans accounted for 28% of his team's total air yards. He didn't just own the regular air yards, but also the completed air yards metrics. He posted 918 completed air yards on the season, which ranked 5th best in the league. That beat out Godwin's line of 759, which ranked 18th. In the article that I posted that's on Twitter, at FF underscore peeps, I post a chart that compares the two in completed air yards metrics, but basically what it shows is that Evans outgained Godwin in total completed air yards, completed air yards per game, completed air yards per reception, and completed air yards per target. Evans also had a whopping average depth of target of 16 yards, which ranks fourth best in the league, compared to Godwin's A dot of 10.7, which ranks outside the top 50. Evans also had a slightly higher weighted opportunity rating at 0.59 compared to Godwin's 0.49. For a quick background on Woper, weighted opportunity rating is a weighted combination of the share of team targets and the share of team air yards. An elite score is in the 0.7 to 0.8 range. Mike Evans just finished with a 0.59 compared to Godwin's 0.49. So considering that both receivers average about the same target share, and the same targets per game, I can make a case that Evans is the more desirable player based on having more downfield intent and opportunities to make big plays. But before I take it that far, I do have to address that which made Godwin such an excellent fantasy receiver in 2019. Hands down, the key was Godwin's efficiency. Last year, Godwin was among the most efficient receivers in the league, he took advantage of his opportunities a little bit more than most did, and it helped propel him to his wide receiver to finish. So there's a few things that we can look at and say, hey, here's where his efficiency occurred. The first one, and you'll hear me refer to this in the article as least importantly, but the first stat that was amazing for Godwin was his yards after the catch. He had 574 yards after the catch, which was the best in the league. And he had 4.9 yards after catch per target, which was also the best in the league. The thing about these stats is that, of course, they're going to add a ridiculous amount of fantasy points on the back end of catches and plays that are happening where you would typically not rack up as many fantasy points. So you're getting these yards after the catch. You're getting a bunch of them per target. You're leading the league in both of these statistics. Yes, you're talking about like an exponential point multiplier, if you will, for having that level of efficiency with that amount of opportunity. The reason why I say least importantly, though, is because this is one of those stats that in the fantasy community doesn't prioritize to be one of the more important predictors of future potential. Yards after the catch are kind of like touchdowns in that they're fickle, they're difficult to sustain year after year, they're very hard to project just due to a wide range of potential outcomes. When you look at somebody like Chris Godwin getting the most yards after catch in the league and the most yards after catch per target, these are efficiency metrics that simply cannot be sustained by the same person year after year. You have to expect these numbers to come down and 
that can affect his total fantasy output. But moving on, we can get into what I feel like are some of the more impressive efficiency numbers, the ones that I think are more important than looking at yards after catch. One of the things that we look at is, um, for example, his racer rating or RACR, the receiver air conversion ratio, which essentially measures the number of yards a player creates for every air yard thrown to them. So it's basically how efficient are you at converting your air yards into something? A, are you catching them? And B, are you doing more than just catching them and falling down to the ground with them. Godwin came in at a 1.02 racer rating and Evans came in at a 0.64. So this number is definitely suggestive of Godwin being able to do more with the targets that he receives. Also got to look at some things like catch rate. If you checked out the article, you'll notice the chart in there that breaks down Chris Godwin and Mike Evans over things like catchable target rate, catch rate, and true catch rate. But basically, catch rate is the percentage of targets that were caught. True catch rate is the percentage of balls that were caught that were deemed to be catchable targets targets. Thus, true catch rate is nice because it eliminates things like overthrows or when the quarterback throws it at your feet and stuff like that. So you want both of these numbers to be high, obviously, but your true catch rate should be higher because obviously an elite receiver is going to catch most of their catchable targets. When you look at the chart, you see that Godwin posted top six numbers in both of these uh, catch rate categories, whereas Evans was not even in the same stratosphere, not even close. Also, factor in that Godwin had 25 contested targets over the year, and he caught 16 of them for a contested catch rate of 64%. That was third best in the league. Mike Evans came in 28th. Pretty impressive thing about Godwin is he's showing that he can make tough catches. He can make contested catches, even if there's not a lot of separation, even if there's basically no cushion whatsoever, even if it may not be the best decision in real life to force a throw into a coverage situation. Godwin is a guy who's making these catches anyways and putting more fantasy points on the board for you. Finally, with Godwin, in terms of efficiency, he ranked number one overall, surprise, surprise, in wide receiver DVOA, with a rating of 36.2%, which basically means he was 36% better than the average receiver on a per-play basis. Evans, on the other hand, didn't even crack the top 10 in DVOA, finishing at 13th. He was a bit more efficient than Mike Evans was, and that was the difference between finishing as wide receiver 12 and wide receiver 2. Now, the interesting thing is, is I started all of this research pre-free agency and was operating under the assumption that Jameis Winston would return as the starting quarterback. There wasn't any information out there at the time to suggest otherwise. Had that been the case, I would genuinely have to consider projecting Mike Evans to be the better wide receiver choice in 2020, which I am surprised that I'm even saying that. But we're talking about a guy who had the same number of targets as Godwin, commanded a higher hog rate, more yards per catch, more yards per route run, 500 more air yards, a higher percentage of the team's air yards, more completed air yards, more completed air yards per target, and a higher average depth of target. If I didn't know the names of two players and just saw those stats on a sheet of paper in two-column format, not knowing who is who, I would normally take the Mike Evans player 9 out of 10 times. So I have to be honest about my process and how I evaluate things, and I say, honestly, maybe Mike Evans could be the better value in 2020. With Godwin, we're talking about a guy that maximized the potential of the targets he received, which is great. And he's certainly capable of remaining efficient throughout his career. But you have to consider the likeliness of regression towards the mean. It is unlikely to lead the league in yards after the catch, 
lead the league in wide receiver DVOA, and be top six or better in catch rate, contested catch rate, and some of the other efficiency metrics that we looked at earlier. Very unlikely that you're going to be the top person in all of those things. So considering the level of volume for Mike Evans and the likeliness of a dip in Godwin's efficiency, I found myself kind of looking at the situation like Godwin might just be a little overvalued and Evans might be a little undervalued heading into 2020. That's kind of where I was starting to take this whole thing. And then as I'm writing the article and preparing for this podcast, free agency is completely underway and the bomb gets dropped. Tom Brady will now be the quarterback of the Bucks in 2020. And my mind is officially... Don't even know how to feel about that. But Tom Brady to Tampa Bay or TB to TB, as I've been seeing it, That alters things. It changes things for Godwin and Evans. The first issue is deep passes. Winston threw over 40 deep passes in 2019, with Evans being the primary target. Brady hasn't thrown more than 25 deep passes in over three straight seasons. So that is an immediate hit to the air yards potential that we discussed earlier with Mike Evans. Brady favors intermediate throws in the center of the field. Think about all that work with Edelman in the slot over the years. Brady posted an average passer rating of 113 for throws in the short or intermediate middle, which destroys Jameis Winston's rating of 85.3 in that same area. Since Chris Godwin ran a team-high 63% of his snaps out of the slot, he will see a sizable lift in the number of catchable targets in an area that he pretty much runs around a lot in. I feel like Brady's passer rating in the short to intermediate area is a perfect match for just continued Godwin efficiency, not necessarily an increase, but stabilizing a lot of what he did last year. Whereas I think the lack of deep balls will probably reduce Evan's ceiling a little bit more than if it were still Jameis Winston. If I had to rank and project these players right now, I would take Godwin over Evans in half PPR. For me, Godwin offers weekly mid-level wide receiver one floor appeal. I associate a higher level of risk with Evans, placing him in the high-end wide receiver two range with high-end wide receiver one upside, but low-end wide receiver two or worse bust potential. In Dynasty, age alone dictates that Godwin over Evans is the obvious choice. Chris Godwin is 24, Mike Evans is 27. I'm taking Chris Godwin all day long. But even in redraft, I'm taking Chris Godwin with conviction over Mike Evans. The change at quarterback is too important to discount, and I find Godwin to present nearly the same weekly upside as Evans, but with a safer floor and less volatility. I project Godwin to finish in the wide receiver 4 through wide receiver 8 range. I have Evans maybe more so in the wide receiver 10 to 15 range. And if I had to make a call right now, I would lean in the direction of saying that we are not going to see back-to-back wide receiver one finishes for these two teammates again. But I do think that both of these players are going to be absolutely excellent additions to your fantasy roster. And I hope that you get the right player at the right time for the right price so that they help you win your league. So thank you very much for listening to the Fantasy Football Peeps podcast show today. I'm Neil Kirschman. And as always, let's get it, baby. Let's get it, baby. Let's get it, baby. Let's get it, baby. Let's get it, baby.